Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Whiskey Sessions. Be Pimp, what's up with you? I'm just keeping it semi-authentic, as always. Yeah, that is, if you haven't listened to the last few episodes of this podcast, and if you haven't, you really should, that is our new mantra, keeping it semi-authentic. We know that being too authentic is not what people want. I mean, they want to enjoy what they listen to. But being not at all authentic means that we're just like fakers, which is also another thing people don't want. Yeah, and, I, and we've discussed how, you know, if you're really, really too authentic, it's just like, it's too, it's too much to handle. Too, Can't yeah. handle it. I, I would 100% agree with that. B-Pimp, you know what else? This is episode 60. It's and a big milestone. It's a big milestone. You know what I mean? Because we record this podcast uh, every other week. Last time I checked, 52 weeks in a year, more or less. Which means we've been doing this for well over two years. Isn't that crazy? It, it is kind of crazy. It's, I, it's, it just becomes such a fabric of my life that I take it for granted sometimes. So you got to think about like how long we've been doing it. Like I'd like to go back and listen to some of the early episodes. Yeah, I I don't even know what they're about anymore. Are we talking about like Y2K and like Cindy Lauper's latest singles? Like how far back are we going? I think we were talking about like the rock and wrestling connection and the rise of the personal computer in one. I'm pretty sure in the dissolution of the USSR and then um I don't know, hippies or something in San Francisco. <laughs> Yeah, we got into the hippies, and then, mm-hmm. you know, um, Karl Marx. We, we've we covered a lot. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, World War II is now over, and we can talk about whiskey. Um, be pimp, what whiskey do you have for our fine listeners today? So, I have. I got a little, um, you know the liquor store I was telling you about that has all the different off-color beers? Yes. I'm extremely jealous of that, by the way. I love off-color. They've got like five at all times, and it's really close to my house, and I've just never gone there. I think it was beca- it's because it's called Spirit and Liquors, and that threw me off. <laughs> I'm like, isn't isn't that the same thing? Yeah, but, that would throw me off too. Uh, but but I now have realized that it's a solid place, and they have a nice selection behind the register, behind the counter of not like travel size liquor, but smaller bottles. So I was perusing that today, and I found a little bottle of Jim Beam Black. Ooh. Which is extra-aged bourbon. Um, and it also won the International Wine and Spirit Competition World's Highest Rated Bourbon Award. Holy shit. So is this, like, is it at a price point that's a little above normal Jim Beam or Jim Beam Devil's Cut or that kind of stuff? It is a little bit because this bottle is only um, we're 375 milliliter, milliliters, like the one that you had in the last episode, mm-hmm. and this one cost me 15 smackers. Whoa, double what I was drinking. I hope it's double as good. Yeah, it's also 43% alcohol by vo- by value, 86 proof. It's a straight bourbon. Um, what else? Is there anything else on here? They age it in charred white oak barrels. Where do they... Is Jim Beam... Jim Beam is Kentucky, I'm assuming. Is it Louisville? It's Frankfurt. Frankfurt. Okay. Yep. I need to see an old map because a, a lot of stuff is out of Frankfurt. That must be like the hot spot. Yeah, there's a... There's a... Um, definitely a heart, Like a large 
contingent of bourbons made there. It does have a screw top, I think. Wait, maybe not. Oh, I can't get it open. Uh-oh. Oh, problem there we number go. one. Problem number one, it doesn't open. No, <laughs> I got it. It is a screw top. So, But, I mean, I think that's because I got a smaller bottle. Yeah, maybe. they're not going to fancy that up. If you're just going to be getting 375 milliliters, they're not going to... They're not going to go out of their way. Yeah, they're they're giving me a little bit less, but um, let's see if the taste holds up. So I'm going to pour some here on the rocks in my standby Woodford Reserve glass that I always drink in. Ooh, I like it. I feel like, how many whiskeys in a row have we just been doing on the rocks? I feel like that's become our standard. I just like it on the rocks because I like drinking it cold. Mm-hmm. I know probably the most authentic way, but we're keeping it semi-authentic, so right. that's that's why. Um, it's probably just to pour a little in a glass on its own um, straight and drink it, but I like to taste it when it's chilled because that's how I would drink it if I was normally going to drink it. No, I think that's fair. I mean, like to be clear to our listeners, we're not necessarily the best like whiskey experts in the world. I think if you, if you listen to our previous 59 episodes, you probably know that by now. But we just like a, we just like some whiskey, so we're gonna drink it how we want to drink it. Exactly, which is what I'm gonna do with this right now. There you go. Okay, I'm gonna start with the smell here. It's very. The smell is very faint. Yeah, I found that with my last whiskey too. I didn't even notice. I, maybe I have a cold. I wonder if I can smell anything. I'm gonna have to get my smelling tested. But um, so. Smell is not overly powerful, and the color is very um, traditional bourbon, just like that caramel, light caramely color. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very easy drinking. All right. It's got a nice, um, a real nice burning sensation, not like a powerful one, but a nice, uh, kind of wakes your mouth up when you take a sip of it. And it, it's. Uh, not an overpowering, you know, booziness where it's really warm, but it's a nice, a real nice finish to it. Like, I have no kick on this. Like, I can drink it very easily. I really appreciate a whiskey that's got a nice finish to it. Like, don't don't let that last little bit ruin it for me. Yeah, and I'm tasting some, I'm tasting some, some traditional, I mean, it's very much like a traditional bourbon, but I feel like... Maybe because of whatever extra amount of time they let this age, it's getting pretty smooth. Because I, yeah, I can't, uh, this has got to be on the smooth train. All right. Another whiskey on the smooth train. So it's Jim Beam Black, what is it called? Jim Beam Black. Oh, there we go. I said it. You got it. Yeah. Good. I am glad to hear it. We always want another whiskey on the smooth train to tell our listeners, hey, this whiskey gets the whiskey sessions approval. Go out and get it. I can see why it was rated so highly by the International Wine and Spirit competition. It's I've I've never been a big Jim Beam drinker like the traditional brand. No. Um I've I've always gravitated towards like Jack Daniels or you know some of the other kind of the standby whiskeys, but this is an excellent bourbon. Yeah, I would say like traditional Jim Beam is a step below Jack Daniels and some of the others, but if you like I, I mean, I don't have a problem with it, and certainly if they're, if they're like a slightly fancier black version is a notch above, then I'm happy to see it on the smooth train. 
I could definitely see buying another $15 little baby bottle of this stuff. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a, it's not a ridiculous price if you just want a little bit. No, I like, this is kind of my wheelhouse. I like the, don't get me wrong, every once in a while I like having a, you know, maybe a $60 bottle where somebody recommended it to me and I try it and usually they're good. Mm-hmm. But the, like for the go-to, like, I want something good. I don't want to go necessarily like to the the travel pack of Canadian Club that I've talked about previously. I want something kind of solid that I could just drink on its own. This is where I like to live. Like the Makers 42, the you know, the little um notch above the normal for these yeah. these uh bourbon makers. It's, so this is a really good one. It's a sweet spot. I do think it is where you kind of get the most value. Yeah, because they're putting a little extra English on it because they want to be able to sell it at that higher price point, but it's not prohibitive. No, for sure. I am glad we've got one on the smooth train. Hopefully we we have a a streak of smooth train whiskeys. But again, we are doing the work that hopefully our listeners don't have to do by telling them what's on the smooth train, what's getting the boot. And I'm, I'm glad to see that this is one we can recommend. I know, I know there's people are out there, they've got their little model smooth trains, and they make a little card for every whiskey that we put on, and they lay it in there nicely, and then whenever they want a whiskey, they go in their smooth train catalog and look at the cards and figure out which one they want. Yeah, if we've done, this is the 60th episode, and I can't remember, we might, I'm not even sure we did smooth train and boot for the first couple episodes, or if it took us a few few episodes to kind of come to that, I forget. But I do wonder how many are on the smooth train and how many are got the boot. I feel like for me, I'm at a, like a ninety percent smooth clip. Ninety percent smooth. <laughs> I would I, I would think that overall, probably we have at least forty smooth trains right now. Yeah, I would say it's right around that. So that gives you a nice little catalog for you novice whiskey drinkers. Yeah, I think I kind of balance it out by not only giving the boot to a lot of whiskeys. But occasionally, also not drinking whiskeys. Yeah, you. Uh, <laughs> you're like the uh, Andy Kaufman of the. <laughs> yeah. Whiskey room. You're just throwing a wrench in the works. No. Uh, yes. Accidentally. Hopefully, next time it's my turn, it's going to be definitely a whiskey, and it's going to be what I think will be a good whiskey. I like how you even had a little bit of reservation in the definitely whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I had to pause. Be like, am I gonna make sure that I buy a whiskey at a like a liquor store? I find, especially in where we live in Oakland, uh, it's I don't always have the opportunity to peruse the whiskey selection. It's usually behind the counter, and when I find it's behind the counter, I have I have a tendency to act a little too quickly. Oh, I understand because you don't want to be like. Like today, I had to just be staring at bottles while this guy was looking at me because there was nobody else there. And it's I'm uncomfortable. Just like, I I have the I I in a lot of social social situations I do have that inclination, but for some reason today I was just like, I'm gonna take my time here. Yeah, these over here are brandies. I don't want brandy. Okay, I'm gonna go back over here. <laughs> Here's what I haven't had. I want that one. Yeah, you just said like, hold up, bud. I'll be ready when I'm ready. He was asking me about the weather. I'm like, let me select my whiskey in peace. Yeah. No, I uh, totally understand that. We had a... So we go to this, like, pregnancy class about once a month. And our doctor there 
for some reason, comments on the weather almost every time we go. Even though the Bay Area weather is... I don't know of an area of the country that has more consistent weather than here. But she'll still say, like, boy, it's a little bit gloomy today. I mean, does it want to rain or not? And we're like, it's the <laughs> same as it always is. It's in the mid-60s. It's fine. I, I admire that because it's like... It's like a refusal to succumb to your surroundings. Yeah, I feel like saying, I was just in Chicago two weeks ago, and we got held up at Midway because it was a snowstorm in mid-April. Like, that is different. I do like, um, on this topic of, like, when you get, like, a class or an appointment and, like, what kind of small talk happens, my eye doctor, I recently got some contact lenses, and my eye doctor is a, she's a very nice person but she's just like out there like she always has some kind of weird topic she wants to talk about and the old the the way she always greets me i've been there three or four times over the last couple years is as soon as we're going back to like the room for the exam or whatever she's always like so what are you doing the rest of today (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like a very specific uh question i'm always caught off guard even though i know it's coming yeah I have a tough time answering those questions. When I'm asked, like, what are you doing this weekend? I have to stop and, like, think for a long time for whatever reason. Like, what am I doing this weekend? I can't remember. Also, probably not anything particularly interesting, but I also, like, don't have it off the tip of my tongue. Yeah, my uncle at dinner uh, this weekend asked me, who I haven't seen in, like, two years, goes, so what? what's new? And I said, I bought a bicycle this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm a 12-year-old. <laughs> No, sometimes if like people I haven't seen in a while, I'm like, "What is new?" Um, nothing really. Oh, my wife is pregnant. Yeah, yeah. It's like, exactly. is that is that a thing worth talking about? I guess so. I ca- I always am rem- reminded of in the office when um, Jim was in Stanford and he comes back to the main office and he sees Kelly and she's like, Oh my God, I have so much to tell you. Tom Cruise and, and Katie Holmes had a baby and its name is Siri. And it's so cute. And she tells her, she tells him all about like pop culture. stuff. And it's like, uh, <laughs> well, that is awesome. All right. Um, I didn't talk about it at the top of the episode, but our top five list is, I think pretty great for this episode. It is jobs we would like to have if we didn't have the jobs we have currently. So, I think, certainly, at least my list, tell me if I'm off base with this, B-Pimp, but my list is a mix of jobs I could plausibly have and could not realistically have. I feel like mine are mostly... No, mine's also a little bit of a mix. There's also a very strong theme in all of mine that will be obvious once I start going. But yeah, it was fun to think about this. Okay, I would say only one of mine is totally implausible. And a couple others are semi-implausible. Okay, I'm excited to hear yours. Because I know, I doubt we'll have, we might, I guess, have one thing that could be an overlap. But I don't think we'll have much. Yeah, I think we should say to the listeners, before we jump into this list, and these are top five jobs we would like to have if we didn't have the jobs we had currently. We should probably say what our jobs are. Yeah, that's a good point. That I I think would help. So, B-Pimp, why don't you tell the listeners what you do? Do you think there's any issue with mentioning company? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you don't have to if you don't want. 
I'll probably just go with what my job is. Okay. So I am. My title is implementation tech lead. Love so it. what I what I do is I'm a, a process manager. Um, I have a team of. They don't report to me. I don't have direct reports, but I I, I work with a team of about um, twelve individuals that are based in Chicago, Charlotte, and Atlanta who do um, implementation for the Affordable Care Act for clients. Ooh. And, yeah. Did I and tell so, you that Maggie and I were on that for about four or five months? You did, yes. What was your experience? It was fine. Yeah, that's kind of what I hear normally. We didn't, um, I'm not sure we ended up using it, but it was great to have that option. Yeah, for like a gap or whatever. Yeah. No, but yeah, so we do the... Um, I kind of oversee the process of setting this technology up to help our clients who are businesses from 15 employees to 10,000 employees um, where they need help, you know, ma- uh, managing their uh, responsibilities as it pertains to the Affordable Care Act. So we have to know the ins and outs of the law. We have to know like how the software works and we just kind of, I manage that and, I'm in charge of, like, when a change happens, I have to tell people, train new hires, do all kinds of stuff like that. Perfect. I think, and the key thing about outlining what we do in our day-to-day lives, I think our listeners would probably be surprised to learn that this job of running the Whiskey Sessions podcast is actually not our normal job. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's not quite there yet. No. Um, it will well, be right- soon. <laughs> Yeah, we're right on the cusp of, of yeah. being able to retire. We're trying to get that Pringles money. It just hasn't happened yet. They've been really resistant. <laughs> really resistant. Uh, but my job, I am a transit planner slash scheduler. Um, so transit, it, that that's code uh, for public transportation. Right now, I work for a tech company that makes software for transit agencies and I try to show them how to use that software and convince them to buy that software. So that's what I do. But yeah, in the public transportation sphere. So all of the jobs that I selected in my top five had nothing to do with that. Because yeah, I've always been intrigued by your um, your job. It's like a not only specifically this one, but like the industry that you're in, because I think it's really interesting, like figuring out how people move from place to place and how effective it is. And like, you know, it's just really it's like a necessity that we overlook, I feel like. It, yeah, it is. And I always loved SimCity. And I it's in, I don't know how exactly I ended up in this field. I don't I like that I'm in this field, but it is it's weird that that's what I do for a living. Yeah, it's cool. I don't know anybody else who does it. There you go. All right, so we are talking top five jobs that if we weren't doing what we are doing, what we'd like to be doing. Does that make sense? And I'd also like to say I do like what I do, and I like where I work. So this is like if everything had worked out perfectly, some of these, maybe that would be my job. And if it was a dream scenario, maybe it would be my job. Yeah. Now, Maggie actually looked at – she saw some of my list uh, before – we're recording this and she was like well i'm glad you didn't go with like any of those because <laughs> your current job seems more stable than those yeah for our new burgeoning family <laughs> yeah exactly but uh all right without further ado these are jobs we would like to have 
More than four, less than six. It's the top five. All right, my number five for a job I would like to have but don't have is cartoonist. Ooh, so interesting. I mean, like writing little comic strips. Uh, it's something that I used to do in grade school. I, um, I had a couple of comics going. Uh, one that I liked was uh, called Comet Man. It was about like a, a stupid superhero that did dumb things, I guess. Uh, but I had a bunch of different books of that going. So I would like to... I always really liked the comic strips, especially growing up. And it would be fun to be a comic. I'm not really a great artist, but I, th- I think that would be a fun job. Yeah, that would be... You'd have the same job as uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Zodiac. There you go. I just watched that movie again a couple of months ago. I tend to bring that movie up a lot. But yeah, that's, that would be a cool job. You know what I realized with that movie the last time I watched it is... I think the the novel that the movie is based on was written by Jake Gyllenhaal's character. Yes, which Robert ex- Graysmith. Which explains why the character seems like such a Boy Scout throughout the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, okay, this guy is probably actually not as good as he seems. I read that book, too. Oh, really? It was good? Yeah, it's great. Okay. I kind of want to read that. I'm Right now I'm reading a... Uh, four-part series on Lyndon B. Johnson. Ooh. He was kind of an and asshole, the, right? Uh, he's a very complex man. And he had uh, uh, this book series, the first book is a thousand pages. And I think the total in the series is like up around 6,000 pages. <laughs> I do like... Okay, I, I love Lyndon B. Johnson for... Uh, passing the Civil Rights Act and saying at the time, I think this will lose the Democratic Party, the South, for at least a generation. Little did he know, it would be several generations. I like, one thing that I heard that caused me to want to read this is that he was very strongly pressured to drop that. And his he said, what is my job if not to do this? Good. And, and I was like, this is a guy I want to know more about. I think that's fair. All right, what is your number five? My number five is a bar owner. Ooh, I like it. I was not thinking in those terms for some weird reason. I would love to own an establishment, whether a bar or a restaurant. I, f- I mean, it counts, right? It's a job. You're the owner of a space. What, what kind of bar? Would it be a theme or just like a classic dive? What would you have going? I think I, what I in my dream scenario, I would like what would be called a dive bar, but mm-hmm. what is extremely clean uh, and like excellent service. But like, I don't want like a I don't want like an Irish pub. I don't want a college bar. I don't want any of that stuff. I just want like a reliable like neighborhood bar. Yeah, you still have your like regulars, but they're you know, it's still a nice establishment. Yeah, and I think. The reason I've always been drawn to that is like I was about, you know, as you know, we were both bouncers for a number of years and that job was so much fun. You can't make enough money doing it to like have <laughs> so it much a career. Fun. <laughs> but but I mean, just the fact that like yeah, it's I know that there's a lot that goes into it and it's a big amount of responsibility, but it's just so cool to know that you could have like a spot where people would go there, like you'd have cool people that you get to talk to, you get to hire uh, a mix of like bartenders who are that's something that they do as a job or mm-hmm. like people that are like young and need money and you could it's just like a really interesting industry 
It is. I agree with that. But I still use, like, the one shift I had at a bar while I was a bouncer as the worst shift of work I have ever had. And that yeah, was the Saturday were... before St. Patrick's Day. 20 hours with, like, a half an hour break. But I do that... remember we went to Golden Nugget after we were both done with our respective shifts and got some got some of that sweet, sweet Golden Nugget chili. Oh, yeah. And the Russian waitress. Oh, yeah. There. She loved us. It was that was great. Um, we did that that area in Chicago is known for uh, not being a great place to work. So that was probably. I also didn't last long in that area, so <laughs> that was not on. But it was like, I also even though I kind of hated that job, like I really liked that I worked it. I first of all always get to say that I was a bouncer, and most people I say that to are like, what. And second of all, like, it was character building. Oh, it is. Yeah. Because you have to, the thing, the biggest lesson I learned from that job is, because I found out over the years of working, like, I'm a big guy. I'm not like a big muscle head guy. I'm like a large man. Mm -hmm. And I was always nice to everyone when they came in because that's like what my normal approach is. And I found out later that I didn't get in a lot of fights over my years bouncing because Usually what causes that is if somebody comes in and they feel like the, you're putting them on their heels as they walk in, then they're going to have a chip on their shoulder and then they're going to like be more inclined to be aggressive. So if they come in and they're like, oh, okay, this guy's kind of a big guy, but he's nice. They're like, eh, I'm fine. I don't need to mess around. Now, sometimes people just drink so much that all logic goes out the window, but right. I was kind of lucky in that regard. Like the places I worked weren't really like that too much, but... It was great. Lessons I learned in that job I still use every day. No, I 1,000% agree with that. You can be a diffuser for like 90% of situations just like right off the bat. Yeah. Um, no, that's uh, definitely a character building job. I would like to see the bar that you own. I'm pretty sure it would be an awesome place. That's something I could still see like potentially happening down the road if I ever have enough money to get into that, but... Yeah, a couple it's... of mine, too, are not, like, way out of left field. Yeah, what's, speaking of that, what's your number four? My number four is radio show host. Oh, my God, we have a double dip. What? Yeah. Yeah, double dip. I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it would necessarily be sports radio. Probably not. I'm never, like, quite in touch enough with sports unless it's basketball to specifically know what is happening. But... I I like talking with like a radio type voice. I did a little bit of radio show hosting at DePaul um, for about a year there, maybe even a little bit less than a year, a couple of trimesters. And yeah, it's just fun to do. Uh, talk a little bit, play some music, talk about whatever. And Maggie always says I have a face for radio, so I think like she's encouraging me too. Oh, Maggie. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. She's All these zingers. Yeah. <laughs> So, talk about your, are, are you specific radio show hosting? Do you have, like, a, a style of radio you'd like to do? Yeah, but I'm, I think this, I'm almost positive this is still a double dip, but I was specific. I said overnight sports radio host. That No, that this is definitely a double dip. Okay, so my idol in broadcasting is Les Grabstein, who mm -hmm. is a longtime Chicago radio fixture. He started in the late 70s when it was sports phone, where you had to call a 1-800 number to hear sports updates. Whoa. 
and was here through WLS. He's been at every station, and he now is the scores overnight host. So he does like twelve to five every day. What a shift! And, and he just solos it. He solos it. He's the man. He knows, like, if you bring up any topic or any, like, obscure thing, he knows a story about it. He goes on these weird rants and tirades. He lets any caller talk as much as they want because he's got to fill five hours overnight. So what does he care? Mm -hmm. It's the best. And I've called, like, two or three times and talked to him. Nice. And it's so much fun. It's like, I would love that. Plus, I always have been, like, a night person. So if I was working overnight and I had an excuse to be on that shift, I would love it. It would just be the best. What did you, when you called in, what did you talk about? Um, I called him once to try to talk about DePaul basketball because they never talk about it, and I wanted to see what he would do. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, just started talking about like Mark Aguirre and the early 80s teams. <laughs> um, and then I think another time it was a White Sox topic. I don't remember specifically what it was. But it was just like, I he, I would call in and he would just let me talk because, like I said, he's got five hours to fill and, you know. And I used to, when I was a bouncer, be up at those hours a lot. And yeah. just, I, I, when I was driving home from the north side of Chicago down to Lansing, that would be the only thing I would listen to every day. So it was just, it's the best. You would crush at that job, I think. I would, I, it would be so much fun to do that. I try, I got, I actually entered the score search one year where they look for talent and didn't hear back. So I don't know how they screen people, but I Not didn't get well. to like whatever round I need to get to. I would say they don't screen them well. If <laughs> yeah. Pass that uh, and I went to the Illinois center for broadcasting once to see, uh, about like going there, but they were so focused on like how I was going to get funding. And then they got so mad when they found out I had a bachelor's degree already that I, uh, was turned off and left. But, um, yeah, it's, it's something that, I mean, we're podcast hosts, so I guess it's kind of clear that we like it, but it's, just, it's, it's something that I feel like I would love every day. I don't care if somebody calls in and is talking about the most nonsense ever. It's just, it would just be great. Yeah. That'd be really fun. I would, I think more and more, I would love like call-ins to talk about whatever, like, I think the old me would have been very thrown off by something I, like, couldn't predict from, like, what a listener would call in about. But I think now I would love to roll with those punches. Yeah, I I, that, I agree with that. I think it comes with um, just kind of experiencing a little, a little bit and just knowing that no matter what it is, you're going to be able to at least kind of have a have a surface level conversation about it and sometimes you get it gold oh, so yeah. it's worth it no uh 100 agree i am super glad we had a double dip it's been a little bit since we've had like a good double dip but uh that's a perfect one for a podcast where we both want to be sports radio I agree. radio hosts yeah all right my number three is novelist now the problem with this is I cannot think of what I would want my novel to be about. But at some point, I feel confident that I will write a novel. I don't know if it'll be read or not. And I don't know what it'll be about. But I really kind of just want to write one. Fiction, probably. I um, had this on my honorable mentions. And the re- there's a specific reason for me that I like it. It's because... 
I live in my head. Like I, I never get bored mm-hmm. because even if I'm alone, like with no media, I can just go places in my head and, and entertain myself. And I feel like being able to have your job be, you have a year, we want you to write about this, go figure it out. And being on just like a completely like this, I'm sure that you have to have some kind of schedule in order to get things done. But like being on your own time where you get to just think about what you want to do. And like, it's, it's so interesting to me. Um, yeah, that's a great, great choice. Yeah. One of these days, a novel will be out there. All right. What's your number three? My number three is baseball announcer. Oh shit. Good pick. I've been really loving the White Sox broadcast this year. Um, Jason Benetti took over for Hawk, and he's with Steve Stone, and they have a great chemistry. It's very funny. They do a lot, <clears throat> a lot of like social media interaction where they do questions of the day, hashtags on Twitter, and like all this stuff. It's just very interesting, and I love like Vin Scully is one of my all-time heroes. Um, He's like, just listening to him talk about baseball, it's just so, I don't know what the right word even is for it, but it's like, you get nine innings, he, he did it by himself, you get nine innings, three hours plus, you gotta fill it, you're, yeah, you're calling the action, but then, you know, he just had this style of like, going from thing to thing, and, and, and then talking about stories from the past, and like, you're, you're the person's guide, for those hours and it's so it's like such an awesome job to me yeah i feel like calling a baseball game by yourself for three hours is like is crazy i mean vince scully i i, I feel like he was the last person who did that right isn't everybody else like a two-man team at this point oh yeah yeah it's um but i I actually have a... Well, because I realized when I left Chicago a little bit less than two years ago, I think Jason Benetti was doing... I want to say he was doing the home games while Hawk was doing the away games. Is So is Hawk out completely? Hawk's done. So Benetti's full-time. Wow! Thank God. Yeah, Hawk's a polarizing figure, but I just... I, I, I don't have time for... Like, I need... I want, like, somebody who can give me some statistical analysis can you know what i mean like i need i need more i, I need more than just like shtick 100% agree jason is great i really liked him when i heard him for the first time for whatever reason i i don't know why cuz i like stone a lot too but like the hawkins stone combination did not work i it's entirely hawk's fault he seemed to not like him at all and it was just like awkward in certain scenarios. So I I am really glad they've moved on from that. Third, they're, they're a, a joy. We're spoiled in Chicago because we've got um, Benetti and Stone and for the White Sox who are great, and then uh, Len Casper is one of the best announcers in the business for the yeah. Cubs, and it's just uh, it's great. It's a joy. I I know that some people think baseball's boring or whatever, but like there's nothing better to me than having the time to sit down and watch a good baseball game. And when the announcers are good, it's like a cherry on top. Oh, oh, for sure. And like, to be clear, like I think baseball is the sport where the announcers matter the most. Uh, I mean, certainly I love a good like basketball announcer as well. And I, I have my favorite basketball folks, but like Kevin Harlan. 
Kevin Harlan is great. I have been a long supporter of Kevin Calabro. He used to be with the Sonics, is now uh, with the Portland Trailblazers. He is the best play-by-play man in the biz. Yeah, but, he's great. But I will say baseball is that sport where like, you have to be able to fill some time that might otherwise not be that interesting, might be like a slow um, part in the game. Maybe it's a, a blowout. I mean, what do you talk about when it's 12 to 1 and you're like entering the eighth inning? Like, It is critical that you have good baseball announcers. The thing that really, I know I'm talking a lot about this, but I this is an episode where we're going to go long because these are passionate things for of us. Of course. Um, recently, I don't know if you heard, but um, the White Sox are playing the Royals, and Tim Anderson has been on a tear, the White Sox shortstop, mm-hmm. to start the year. And he hit a monster home run to break a tie against the Royals in, like, the sixth inning. Uh, and he did, like, a pretty aggressive bat flip afterwards. And then the Royals threw at him the next time Ugh. he was up in the back, hit him right in the back. He did not charge the mound. He started walking towards first and had a conversation with the catcher. The benches cleared. They threw out both the pitcher for the Royals and Tim Anderson, even though he didn't do anything. Didn't he just got anything. hit by the pitch. And Jason Benetti's reaction was so refreshing to me because I've thought this forever and I never hear anyone say it. He's like, well, apparently it's illegal to have fun in baseball. Thank you. The unwritten rules of baseball ruin the fucking sport. Yeah. And he and the fact that he immediately was able to take in this emotional part of this game and turn it around. And he actually went on a little speech of like, if you really don't like somebody doing something when they get a hit, get them out. He like immediately did this and he completely encapsulated the problem. And, and, and just it was great. It was so great. I was like sitting on my couch cheering. Good. I I am happy to see that because I think that kind of bullshit will like bring baseball down. It's ridiculous, and it's teams like the Royals that are the biggest effect, and the Cardinals and the, the Cardinals. Defenders. Yeah, I think Royals are certainly bad. I think the Cardinals may be the worst team in baseball for that. Definitely, their fans are the dumbest and probably most racist, and they ugh. Yeah. It's sad, but I mean, hopefully those will those teams will fall by the wayside, and we will have fun baseball. But I, I was just very impressed by by that. Yeah, Missouri, am I right? Yeah, something's going on in Missouri. Something's going on. All right, my number two is, and this is the one on my list that is certainly not at all possible anymore. Professional basketball player. Oh man. That would be pretty fucking fun. Yeah, I'm a little... I did, that, that's sad to me now that I realize I did not even consider it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think that's fair. I mean, if you're, like, thinking about jobs, that would be great. Like, this one is, like... This is not happening. This is... That... that when I was a kid, I was convinced that I was going to be in the NBA. Until about the age of 12, when my... I don't remember if it was my dad or my coach was like, you know, you really got to do some workouts if you're going to try to play in high school. (laughs) And I was like, oh, wait, it's going to be an uphill battle for me in high school. Then I, what am I going to do after that? Like, and it was crushing. Like, I don't care about Santa Claus. I don't care about any of this other shit. When I realized that being in the NBA wasn't in the cards, I was like, well, what's the point? Yeah, that's it. No, I, uh, like that would be great. Obviously, like that is the most far removed. I can't even picture that for a second 
but I mean, I loved basketball growing up. Played through high school, even did almost just as a, not as a joke, but just like, I did try out for the DePaul team my senior year, if just for shits and giggles, to see how I stacked up. Turns out not great. But, but I mean, I got to tell you, you're you're a very good basketball player, and like if you you have to grade everything on a scale, like most of the population would be in awe of how you play basketball. So, not being in the one percent of the country that is good enough to play in the NBA is really not that bad, I guess. Could be worse. I mean, I still really love the sport, but it would be cool to be in the NBA or that would be so playing much fun. in the Lithuanian league. I wouldn't even care if it was in like the G, like a career G leaguer. That'd be fine. No, I would 100% do that. All right, what is your number two? You'll notice the theme now, probably uh, baseball general manager. <laughs> I'm thinking it's the theme is baseball. The theme is sports. Yeah, but yeah, uh, being the general manager of a baseball team would be. If not for, I mean, my number one is because I think I could possibly do it. So I was like, that's going to be my number one. Mm-hmm. But this is dream scenario. Like if somebody came in now, like a leprechaun or a genie or something, and said, I'm going to give you a wish. It would be like, I want to be the general manager of the White Sox. Because I still, to this day, before we started recording today, up until about 10 minutes before, I was playing MVP Baseball 2005 on Ooh. the original Xbox simulating seasons as ironically enough the Seattle Mariners nice. um just I go through I just play that game to this day because all I the most fun thing for me to think about is what would I do if I was in charge of a baseball organization like it's it would be I know there's a bunch of stuff probably that they do that I would find boring or like don't know about but the overall ability to be able to like put those pieces together uh you know call another GM, talk about trades. I love watching um, the movie about Billy Bean and the Oakland A's, uh, Moneyball, Mm -hmm. because it's like, that is is the glamorous thing for me. Like, how much fun would it be to do that? Like, I can't even imagine. Like, what's great about baseball, too, is if I imagine being a general manager for a different sport, like football or basketball or something like that, at least with baseball, you don't even have to think about the salary cap. Exactly. Like, the mental gymnastics to figure out the basketball salary cap with, like, the mid-level exception and, like, all these trade exceptions and what you can offer in terms of a max salary. Impossible. Bird That's why rights. Give me... Yeah, bird rights. Forget about it. Give me baseball for that. Yeah, it would be so much fun. Yeah, I will say, I'm super proud. One of my high school friends uh, and friends at... He went to U Chicago and was going to DePaul. But Jesse, he is a... I forget what his title is, but he works for the Seattle Mariners. And I feel like he is on the fast track to being a GM at some point. I could be wrong, but I honest to God think it might happen. Whoa, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it would be amazing. But the weird thing is, growing up, he, I think, is from the Bay Area originally because he was a big Oakland A's fan. So I'm slightly suspicious that he might be trying to sabotage the Seattle Mariners. He's going to become a GM and pull some Jack Z moves. (laughs) That would be amazing. All right. My number one is professional musician. Yeah. So at some point, 
Like, it would be amazing if the music I made made enough money to survive on. This is a good one, too, because it's something that you are so good at that, like, is actually feasible. You know, like, that's... Yeah, I will, like... I will admit, I'm in a cold spell in terms of writing music, but at some point I want to put together another album. But figuring out how to make money, figuring out how to make money making music is no easy task. No, I was talking to uh, Brad Brew at your when you guys were in town. Oh yeah, Brad Brew. For quite a while, and uh, it was a really good conversation because it was like, I was just asking him, like, you know... And I got his album and everything, and it's like, I have so much respect for that, because it's like a creative thing that you're putting yourself out there, and it's like, I, this is me, I did this. Mm-hmm. I know how to play an instrument, which anybody can learn this technically, but this is what I put into it, and this is what came came out of it. And, like, trying to figure out how do you make that a career, which is why I have so much disdain for, like, the the bands and the and the um, art artists that are like studio creations where they're like completely contrived just to make money. It's like that is not what that is for. That's why so many people are elitist about that. Like, it's about did is this from you from you something that you did and that you are putting out there and that people want to hear and it resonates. Yeah, I uh, like and like Brad is like a really good songwriter. He's like somebody that I I really like admire in terms of that because like songwriting itself is not all that easy but like no i i love to see that in artists when they are like putting themselves out there but for so many people i've seen in chicago uh, i've seen a little bit here as well it is it's a crowded field and even if it weren't it is hard to figure out like how to turn like your passion for music into something that's like semi-profitable well, you're in a band that is a perfect example of that, which was Hero Monster Zero, which was people that are all amazing at what they do. All the songs are great. The, the shows are amazing. And it's like, what what do you do? You know, like, what, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> I have no idea. If I figure it out, and I hope I do at some point, I will let you know. That I will be Please ep- do. That will be episode 200 of the Whiskey Sessions. <laughs> that'll be when you announce your retirement from all other things to be a professional musician yes without a doubt all right what is your number one my number one would be a basketball scout Ooh, i like it along the lines of a a, a mr show uh david cross and bob odenkirk <laughs> what was that called uh oh man that was such a great sketch and i can't remember the name of it when he had the soup from yeah. his <laughs> aunt. Um, no, but like, yeah, I mean, honestly, yes. Just the idea of, and the reason this stems from is like a really weird story. Uh, Lisa and I were in, were in Madison for a little weekend trip a couple years ago. And we were sitting at a bar and there was like a high school basketball tournament on. Ooh, nice. And I, and I was just watching like out of the corner of my eye and I saw a diamond stone who ended up going to Maryland and then was a first round draft pick in the NBA, who was already like kind of flamed out of the NBA, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. um, I saw him playing and he was in like in a small school in, in Wisconsin in this tournament. And I watched like three or four trips up and down the court. And I was like, that kid is going to be in the NBA. 
And it was just something about how he moved and like it's it just it just immediately just shouted out at me NBA prospect. And the fact that he was like a high, high, highly recruited prospect to Maryland, had a good career there, uh, went to the NBA. I think he was drafted by the Clippers and played for a couple teams. Um, I was like, that's somebody I saw. And granted, he's a big guy at like a small school in Wisconsin, so he kind of stuck out. Mm-hmm. But it just was like, that is, you know how you talk about like, what is something that I can do where it's not like work? Because that is what speaks to me and like what I feel so passionate about. I love watching basketball. I love trying to dissect, like, what makes this person good? What's the thing that, yeah, maybe this guy's body isn't the same and, like, doesn't say that he should be in the NBA, but he has these X, Y, and Z factors that make him an NBA player. Those things are so interesting to me, and I would just love to be able to do that. I No, I totally agree with that. And I, like, don't... I kind of wonder, like, what my own, like, eye for talent really is. Like, what my hit rate is. I don't have a good sense now. But I will say, I saw this one basketball player, same as the senior year that I was in high school. Uh, he was also a senior in high school. He played at, I think, uh, a little school called St. Mary's or something like that. I forget in California? That. No, I think it was in Ohio. But uh, his name was, what was it, LeBron James? <laughs> and he, I... Honest to God, I said, when I saw him playing in high school, I was like, this kid is going to be something. And little did I know, he was going to be, he ended up being drafted first overall. And I think I called it. You went out on a limb? When I went out on a big limb. School? Yeah. When his high school games were televised on national television, I said, you know what? This kid's going to be something. I know we're supposed to be watching the whole St. Mary's team, but I think he's the star. I think the bull should hire you right now. Mm-hmm. Oh fuck! Like I couldn't be as good as Pax or Gar. Well, I mean, you're you by the fact that you are not them, you are already better. You would be a hundred times better than those. They should hire you as the general manager of the Chicago Bulls right now. I mean, maybe start you as head of scouting for one year and then move you to GM. I would. I would. Oh, it'd be so great. I don't even know if I want to work for the Bulls, but I. I, I would do it. You just would because I would that. love it so much. Well, what are the expectations, really? I mean, like, the nice thing about the Bulls is though they have like such a great history, they also have like a shitty history. Oh yeah, I don't. They're all, they're, I, they've had a lot of lean years. They've had a lot of lean years, and I actually don't feel like the city expects the Bulls to always be good. No, they're still making bank because everybody goes to the games. Yeah, that's fine. So I I think if it takes you a couple of years to kind of get the hang of it, that's okay. I mean, Gar, well, Gar and Pax have had the job for what ten years? Yeah, and and they no more than that, and they've had multiple coaches. They've had they traded multiple draft picks to get Doug McDermott in the first round. Yeah, I mean, like, what else can you possibly say? <laughs> what do you want? And for all the people that are like, yeah, well, they saw, like, that Jimmy Butler was pretty good and the Gom is a relatively low pick. Like, well, then they ended up trading him. And for what? I'm going to argue with you on that. Do you like Zach Levine? I do like Zach Levine. He's pretty good. But I just don't think, like, he's no, certainly... No, they, they botched it. He's not going to be your number one or two pick on a very good team. No, he, he's like a third banana. Yeah. At best. I just, it, the whole thing fascinates me. Like, yeah. everything about that world, you know? Like, I know that 
it's glamorized and it's probably like a grind, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. even care. Yeah. I uh no, that that would be amazing. You got some honorable mentions? I do. Um I would like to be a Lego model designer. That's awesome. They I, I from what I've heard it's very uh selective and they make a lot of money and they're in Scandinavia, which is always good. Um an urban planner. Yeah. It's a good feel. It's, yeah, it's always intrigued me like just thinking of um, I have a bad sense of geography as a, as a, or no, not geography, direction as a, uh, like as a default, but I love learning about like the history and areas, why things are designed the way they are. What can we do to like change things? It's always been interesting to me. Um, a psychologist or therapist. So I always love talking to people and, um, figuring out like what's their story what makes them tick like all that kind of stuff and i feel like that would be um an interesting job to have and then a heavy metal drummer would be my last one. Oh my god heavy metal drummer that is a lot to ask oh god it would be so much fun though it like getting that double kick drum the i, I just don't like i don't know how they even make it into 10 minutes of a show there's guy there's this um uh youtube channel called sick drummer uh where they follow heavy metal drummers from like these extreme metal bands. And I always watch the videos because these guys are like, they're like tanks because their legs are gigantic because they're just sitting there like, and it's not just a repetitive back and forth between the two feet. It's in intricate patterns. Oh yeah. With both feet. And it just fascinates me to know like how you can get that good at that stuff. No, that's amazing. I, it, it looks exhausting. The best, uh, one of my favorites, and I think underrated now because he his, he's not known by name, but uh, Black Sabbath's drummer Bill Ward. If you watch like the the uh, DVD I have, I think is Never Say Die, but he just sits back there. I think he was coked out of his mind, but he sits back there <laughs> and just like it, it's like a it's like almost. Um, an out-of-body experience, it feels like. He's just, the way his legs are moving in, independent of his arms and all these things that they're doing, it's so crazy. Uh, it's a, to be a heavy metal drummer would be, that's a hell of a job. They do not get enough credit. Yeah, that would be great. What are yours? Uh, I'd love to be an animator. I think that would be fun. Sports journalist, screenplay writer, travel journalist, and stand-up comedian. Oh, that's a good one. That would be rough. I've never written for stand-up. I like seeing stand-up. And when I do, like, my current job, and I do, like, demos and trainings or whatever else, I mean, honestly, it's almost like a quarter stand-up. But it would be a fun thing to try. I'd like to try to write, like, a five minutes. Like, just see what my stand-up is there. Yeah, I've always toyed with that, like... I've got, uh, actually, one of the guys I'm going to um, Colorado, Denver with is a stand-up comedian, Steve, who was in our fantasy league. And Oh, you're going with him, too. Cool. Yeah. And he um, he's going to do some shows while we're there, so I'm going to go. Uh, and I'm fascinated by, like, the ability. I feel like I could write some things that may be passable, but just the ability to, like, deliver it correctly is what fascinates me. I know, and, and stand-ups really, really put themselves out there. I feel like as as a musician who has, like, played shows, like, I feel like 
if our music sucks, then it's still at least like listenable, you know? Like it's still just like music. If you don't like it, it's fine. But if you are bombing on stage as a stand-up, like that has got to be the roughest experience in the world. Have you ever heard the audio from Bill Burr uh, at this that festival in Philadelphia? No. Where everybody like he went to this festival and he was like he was like late at the festival and everybody there was trashed like not even drunk like math or something like it was just an insane audience sounds like Philadelphia. And, and he, it was like early in his career and they were booing the shit out of him like early when he was trying his normal jokes so he transitioned into I'm not kidding 17 minutes of berating the city of Philadelphia <laughs> and it is amazing and he and he talked about it on it was a podcast I can't remember which one but he talked about how he was so mad he was like I didn't even want to be there and these 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 hillbilly meth heads are booing me and he's like i just turned into this monster and i was like i'm gonna say everything i could possibly think of to like <laughs> hurt them to their core as philadelphians and it's amazing <laughs> i would love to listen to that actually yeah it's great i'll send you a link to it nice all right if you have a job that you have not done that you would like to as a listener go ahead and hit us up um our twitter is at whiskey sessions our email, which is an even better way to reach us, is whiskeysessionsmusic at gmail.com. You can hit us up there. Um, but we have a couple of emails to read on the air this time. So let's go ahead and get to it. These are your emails. You sent us emails to read. Emails! And now we'll read them. All right. So one email I got, it looks like it's referring to our last episode. It says, Hey, Whiskey Sessions, great episode on the best jerseys, but you horribly neglected the best jersey of all time. The cartoon Rockets jersey from the mid and late 90s. The Rocket had a face. Scary. And this is from Paul in Galveston, Texas. I will say there, there are like a set of NBA jerseys from the mid to late 90s that are like next level atrocious were the grizzlies still around at that point yeah so i think the grizzlies i think are we in vancouver right i think the grizzlies started in 95 or 96 in vancouver before they moved to memphis in like 2000 or 2001 so i think they definitely fit that bill there's those were terrible yeah there are a lot of like cartoon animals or weird like cartoon super colorful jerseys that was like really a thing I can't, I'm, I'm like trying to think of teams during that time that didn't have bad jerseys and it's hard. Yeah, all really bad. I wonder like what is, it's hard to gain retrospective on an era that's not at least like a, a few years in the past. And like those late nineties were bad, but I had no idea at the time. They didn't seem bad to me. Well, I think right now what I notice is like the NBA trend. Doesn't it seem like a lot of teams have just like a, they have a lot of jerseys that they're wearing this year. That's true. There's like each team I feel like has 75 different jerseys that they roll out. So that might be one thing that people like react to negatively. It's like one of the things about a jersey is it's supposed to it's supposed to give you like this recognition of like, oh yeah, this is that team for casual fans or whatever. So when yeah. it's different every time, it just looks like a bunch of people in different colors. Like, yeah, that is definitely true. I will say like they have stopped it now, but those two or three years where they were trying out jerseys in the NBA, 
will not look good. Yeah, and the thing is now, have you noticed, like, all the, um, whoever the, I don't know if it's Nike or whoever's making the jerseys right now, they have that weird little part on the back where it, like, tucks in weird under the shoulder. Yes! It's, like, I not noticed symmetrical. That. It's, it looks like the, 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 the color lines from the shoulder should continue, but they don't. They don't. And I, what I saw was it was supposed to be because it's for comfort and, like, it doesn't chafe or something. And I'm like, okay, that's fine, but then change the look yeah. so that it's not shocking that, like, it doesn't continue. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, that is weird. All right, what do you got in the old MLM box? Dear Whiskey Sessions, I'm thinking of starting a podcast. What advice do you have for me? Thanks, Hector in El Paso. Whoa. I, I think the first thing I would say is don't try to step on our fucking turf. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you better not be uh, no. reviewing whiskey. And especially not reviewing whiskey competently. Because oh, then I'd be very God. upset. No, I would be very upset. We have like set a bar for mediocrity in terms of reviewing whiskey and shooting the shit. If they try to do anything more than that, I will be very, very upset. It's, it's, I mean, honestly, like, I think, what would be my advice? It would be, have something interesting to talk about. Mm -hmm. If you don't, be really good at making things up. Yeah. And get a, get a headset instead of trying to get some kind of stationary microphone. That, all good advice. I'll be honest, my only advice for this person, what was their name again? Hector. Hector. I think my advice would be Hector, step off. So Andy is Amets is really taking this personally, but I I, uh, I think I agree. I think you should stay in whatever business you're in now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. We've given you plenty of options in this episode of other jobs that you can pursue. I don't think podcast should be one of them. Yeah, go be the general manager of a Texas baseball team. Why not? Okay, if you had to pick a Texas baseball team to be the general manager of, which would it be? It would be the Houston Astros. Yeah, I agree with that. You still they already got everything in place. I just got to go in there and like be a sack of meat. Yeah, that's it. All right, uh, if you have an email that you'd like to send to us, please do. Our email address is whiskeysessionsmusic at gmail.com. We spell whiskey with an E like all good people do. Um, but send us an email and we'll read it on a future episode. But I think that about does it for this episode. Be Pimp, do you have any words of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with? Chicago Bulls, you can find me on LinkedIn. Yes. Would they please? I mean, like, I have my LinkedIn up. It's even, like, up to date. Some basketball team needs to find us. We should be a co- we should be co-general managers of a team. I would do that. I would take half the salary of a normal general manager. I'll say that right now. I'm I'm signing that contract. Okay, perfect. We are each getting what, like two and a half million dollars a year for the next five years. Yep, I'm up for it. All right, the podcast will continue. Oh, without a doubt, I'll keep doing this on the side, of course. Um, all right, until next time, this is Amet saying peace out. Deep in, see you later. Adios.